I think restaurants fail largely for three reasons. Uh, sometimes because people don't realize that there's actually in the word restaurant business, there's business. So they never look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. So either it's underfunded and they just don't understand business. A lot of times when there is just too much success, partners start fighting and it's often, you know, ego. And other times it's just people should should not be doing it. They're just doing it for the money and you can't succeed in this business when you just do it for the money. You have to have a vision, you have to have passion that has to flow and feel it. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have celebrity chef, motivational speaker, restaurateur, and attorney, Chef Donatella Arpaia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I never lead with the attorney part. (laughs) No, but you know, my family will appreciate it because my wife's an attorney, my dad's an attorney, my brother was an attorney. So, you know, something similar there. Yeah. But let's get right into it. So, Chef, what was your first job in hospitality? Okay, so I would say, I mean, you know, when they say you grow up in the business, so I literally grew up in the business. My, I am first-generation Italian. My father was born in Naples. My mother was born in Apulia, in Bari, the heel of the boot. And I was privileged to spend every summer growing up in Italy. So three months out of the year, my mom had an olive oil, olive oil farm and... When my father was 19, he came to New York City and started as a busboy and worked his way up with, you know, Tony May and Ciro Maccioni. Yeah, worked at Delmonico's, was part of that entire history and became and opened up his first restaurant in Woodmere, Long Island, which is where I grew up. And he opened it the year I was born um, at 29 years old. It was called La Tavernetta. And so literally my backyard was the restaurant kitchen because our house was literally right next to the restaurant. And so I grew up in the restaurant kitchens and literally my, yes, it's true. My, there's been stories that my crib was on the dishwashing station because it lulled me to sleep. And my mother was the hostess because they couldn't afford anything else. So yeah, the ethos of, of the restaurant business and food was so much a part of who we were. I think in my family, food was something that we, as Italians in general, but in our family is an art form. And it's something that we discussed at nauseum. 
and we talked about it nauseum. So I grew up in the business and my first job was probably working in my dad's New York City restaurant, official job, Scarlatti in New York City. But technically, he did not want me to work in the restaurant. So my brother, my older brother, who, and I'll plug him, he owns Cellini on 54th Street in New York City. He literally, you know, worked his way up in the restaurant and he was groomed for the business. But my father said, no, my daughter's, you know, an immigrant. He's like, you can be whatever you want as long as it's a lawyer or a doctor. You could be whatever you want as long as a lawyer or a doctor. Well, I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. And so by the time I was in college and graduated, I was like, oh, I want to be a lawyer. So I went to law school and I graduated and I worked in New York City and I lived above my brother's restaurant, Cellini, in the in a studio apartment and three months into working. And I really liked the study of law. I liked how it trained me how to think. But as soon as I got into it and started doing corporate law, I'm like, this is... Yeah, those billable hours. We'll this get is <laughs> not what I want. And, you know, I, I had, I saw the whole like, okay, what does every young lawyer want partner track? And I'm like, I don't want that. And I, I remember very distinctly having a conversation with my father saying, you know, I know you said I could be whatever I want, but I don't think this is what I want. And that same night it was raining and I was at my brother's restaurant eating for free, of course, because I was a young lawyer and you know, the hostess didn't show up. And of course I got up and I just started helping him as I would normally. And that's when I had like my aha moment, the Oprah aha moment where I was like, duh, like this is what, this is where I feel most alive. And I told my dad and he's like, oh God, like, really? <laughs> he's like, really? I just spent all this money on your legal education. I said, I was like, technically you said, if I become a lawyer, I could be whatever I want because the education will serve you well in life. And he's like, okay, if you want to do this, it's going to, you know, then do it. And so of course he begrudgingly, but of course supported me. And I looked for six months and I found this location on 52nd that had like 10 failed locations before that. And I opened my first restaurant. I borrowed some money from the bank and I, I had a small, very small trust fund that I didn't have access to and he gave it to me. So I literally had everything I had and I put it into it and he helped me build it. And I opened up Bellini at 28 years old on 52nd Street. I didn't know, like I was surrounded by the business, but you know, there's a difference between surrounding it and the day mm -hmm. in and day out. But I was extremely, you know, driven and I felt that I could do it. And I had a strong sense of hospitality, front of house hospitality. And so literally, I mean, back then, I truly was one of the first people to do online reservations. My dad's like, what is this? And I remember mm -hmm. there was like, I was like, this is the future, dad. And I had a knack for PR and public relations. And what I first did, because growing up, it, you know, when my dad came, he saw the red sauce Italian restaurant, the checkered tablecloth and fine yeah. dining. And he bought fine dining to Italian, but it was more based on Northern cuisine. And I said, dad, no one's eating the food that we eat at home, the Southern cuisine, like burrata, mm -hmm. you know, broccoli rabe, which is so common today. They, they, they hear it everywhere. Italian yeah. restaurants. And I said, I don't want to serve caprese. I want to serve burrata. He's like, no one's going to eat it. The clientele doesn't understand. I said, it's our job to make them understand. And so I really started focusing on the regional, you know, Southern authentic Italian cuisine of Naples and Bari. And slowly I started getting a following, but I literally hand wrote notes to everyone. I pound the pavement. I went to the concierges. I mean, it was like grassroots marketing. 
And I slowly built this loyal following based on me. It wasn't based on a famous chef or it was me. You know, they always say, what's your favorite restaurant? And it's where where you get noticed or where Mm -hmm. you're acknowledged. And I was the master at that. I was the master at it. I, I took care of everyone. And after two years, it really became a local success, which presented a problem for me because at 29, I now had a successful restaurant. But people would literally say, is Donatella there tonight? No, okay, I'm not coming. And I'm like, well, I can't base a restaurant based on me. I want to grow. So I want to pack out. I want to back up because we unpacked a lot lot. in the first, which I love. I love it. I love it, Chef. It was great. Okay. Because now we got the full story and I get to come back to a couple parts that I know the listeners will love. Sure. Because we like talking a lot about how we do certain things. And so yours is like a movie, right? You're a little bit of a... Don't you know, you're do down as an attorney. Do. You're just down a little bit. It's raining outside. The hostess calls out. You're like, I got this, brother. I'll step in. I got you. And then you fall in love with it. So it's one thing to fall in love, like you said, and to be in the restaurant business. And a lot of people work in restaurants and say, I could own my own place. Mm. Right. So what has started happening when I love the first stories, like the, the origin. So when you were like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to open my own restaurant. What were the next steps? After you, I'm sure you resigned from the law firm and they're like, what are you talking about? Or they're like, all right, young lawyer, go. go I, mean, do I don't even want to tell you who the first lawyer I worked for was because that you're, you're, you know, the podcast will go viral because it's, coincident- <laughs> it's coincidental. So I'm not going to bring that up right all now. All right. So we'll say but famous it, it, lawyer. I don't know about famous. I would say infamous. But back Whoa, then, no one knew okay, who he was. Got it. All right. Back then, no one knew uh-huh. who he was. I remember it was a very difficult decision. And I remember continuing at work, but looking for locations and then deciding. And then when I decided and I negotiated and I got the location, I remember being in court and feeling happiness. I think like when it's kind of like a relationship when you break up, when you know that you don't know if it's the right thing to do, but then when you do it, if you feel like, like this aha moment, but unlike other people, because there are a lot of people that want to be in the restaurant business, they think they're a great cook that I had no illusions about, you know, the glamour side of it. I knew the reality because I saw my father and it is literally one of the most difficult businesses to get into. And my father didn't want me to be in it because, you know, he was, you know, your typical Italian that just wanted the man to do it. He didn't want it for me because he's like, it takes your blood. You know, it, it is an all consuming business and I don't want that life for you. I want, but he also never imagined you know, what would happen with the whole world of the food network and how it evolved. Back Mm -hmm. then, the restaurateur was the star. The chefs were never even talked about back then. Right. People forget about this. But back then, in when I grew up, it was all about the front of house here in Machone. It was never about, you know, the chefs were like behind. They didn't come out. They weren't celebrities. So it was just a different, you know, stage that, that he was on. But I remember feeling immensely relieved and I gave the notice that day and I was like okay here we go but you know I was young all my friends were post-college post-law school and I had no illusion they were partying and I worked literally 24-7 it was all consuming so once you found the place yeah once I found the place I was there trying to get it ready refurbishing it for nothing which I love is an authenticity about that right and Mm -hmm. and you you realize, you know, when it's your own money at stake and you have everything to lose because I had everything to lose and I had no 
marketing plan. I had no famous chef. I had a lot of knowledge about cuisine and food. And I was very passionate about my vision and what mm-hmm. I wanted to create. But, you know, from there to there, it, it was painful. I mean, there was literally, I opened up and there was no one coming in the door. Yes, yeah, so that's what uh, I like to that, see. So you that, put all this effort and love scary. into your restaurant. Door opens. Yeah. I mean, like, like your friends and family. I don't, I don't know if today, I mean, you know, the ignorance and bliss of youth. I mean, it was crazy what I did. I really... I, I was very, very, though, focused and driven. I do have an amazing capacity to say that I'm going to do something and then just find a way to do it and not really think about, like, all the things that can go wrong. Because when you do that, you're not going to open. I mean, the, the business is so highly competitive. And even when you do everything right, you can fail because it's one of the most competitive businesses. And the failure rate is, you know, 90-something percent. Yes, my father helped a lot. He was tremendously, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. But we had a very different style, too. You know, he was old school. Mm-hmm. I was young, and I thought I knew better. And, yep. and he didn't. And I was, you know, a sheltered girl, Catholic girl from Long Island. I didn't know the, the evil out there. And it was hard. And, but what really launched it was, I remember Arthur Schwartz, who's a popular radio host, The Food Maven. He just came out with a book, Naples at Table, and what really launched the restaurant was twofold. Me, every customer that came in, I won them over. So, Steve, if I had 10 customers that day, I would make you feel like the most special person in the world. And you would want to help me so much because you saw mm-hmm. this young girl and I served you good Italian food. It was nothing like earth shattering, but you wanted to root for me. And then that built on and built on and built on to the point where you know, it was on 52nd between 3rd and 2nd, like, you know, all of a sudden the local council, it came and, and it, it was literally built one by one where the police commissioner would come all the time. I mean, that's where Bloomberg decided to become mayor with police commissioner safety there. Because I always took care of the cops. Mm-hmm. Big, big believer in taking care of the cops. <laughs> yeah. I always fed them all the security detail. I am truly somebody and my happiest memories were my childhood. So I loved taking care of people. I love feeding people. I'm your classic like Italian. So listeners, we are recording live from Chef Donatella's new restaurant. So you may hear some cool construction in the background because she's opening tomorrow. So don't mind that. So yeah, every customer, it was a word of mouth growth. It was hard to pay the rent bills in the beginning. It was hard to do all of that. And then to change the pattern of thinking and to introduce a new style of cuisine which is not foreign today, but is authentic regional Italian cuisine, which back then was not. Mm-hmm. It was the it was either red checker tablecloth meatball pizza style food or high end northern cuisine. There was nothing in between. So um, was there a time in that restaurant where you're like, all right, we've got this now. Now it's starting to go. What, what, was, yeah. what was that moment? I rem- I remember I had Walter Cronkite in one corner who I love because oh, he wow. lived a block away and he would come all the time. And he rooted for me. And I remember when I got Crane's 40 under 40, he sent me a fax message and he said, congratulations. And he said, me and the missus want to come in. Do you still have a table for me? And I'm like, of course. (laughs) And, you know, but I knew how to take care of him. I knew, for example, that, you know, he was hard of hearing and people would come up to him because he's Walter Cronkite Mm -hmm. and he didn't want them to think that he was like older or senile. It's just that he, he, and I protected him. 
and he liked his vanilla scoop of ice cream. And, you know, I knew what the police commissioner liked and I knew what the Italian mafia liked in the other corner. So I remember like everyone had their corner tables. You know, Mary J. Blige was a freaking customer of mine and she sang one night and I still, I hail wow. Mary, man. She was, she was amazing. I did have an amazing ability to connect with people of all types, whether it was Walter Cronkite, whether it was the police commissioner, whether it was the mafia, whether it was Mary J. Blige, and give them what they wanted. Mary J. Blige wanted privacy. You know, Walter Cronkite wanted his scoop of vanilla ice cream for dessert. And I knew I made it, I would say, two years into it, where, and I think every restaurateur feels that, you know, the place was buzzing, the front and the back of the house, it was like a symphony, and everything was just going, and it was just the magic and I felt so alive and I'm like, wow, this is, and this press started coming and feeling it. I mean, back then it was before the Me Too movement. So everyone just said, you know, I think Zagath actually said, come for the hot owner. And it was just very weird that there was a female because there were Mm -hmm. no female players that were young, that were former attorneys. I mean, I remember all my employees were men back then because that's who worked in the restaurant business and fine dining. Back then, you know, Jean-Georges was the leader of hiring female sommeliers and females. And, and that was, so I was at the cusp of everything changing. So I was just like an anomaly because I was a female in general and young. So that was a point of interest for people, but it was also hard. I, I you know, I had a lot of eyeballs on me. Yeah, I'm a sure, lot especially when, a lot you're, of eyeballs on me. when you're at the top of, of your restaurant game, everyone and then, wants to talk to yeah. you. And then one night I found a great location on 61st and a customer introduced me to David Burke, who we met. And that really led to several more conversations and led to the opening of David Burke and Donatello when I was just turning 30. And the success was so overnight and massive that I was beyond. So it became the number one rated restaurant in New York. And I wasn't ready for that. That was crazy because sometimes success can come too soon too i wasn't prepared for that what was that like we we had chef david burke on the podcast and he said very nice things about you but what was that like what was that what was that like when you like all of a sudden you had go like national coverage and like yeah it was was a learning curve there was a big learning curve you know i came from like a mom and pop type of environment and dave came from corporate and he had a lot of systems in place and structure in place so I learned a lot from David and he was the big name back then. People thought, you know, I forced David and he knows this is true. And I just spoke to him last week, but I forced him to put the name Donatella on. Yeah, and smart. He, just want, he just wanted it to be David Burke. He's like, no one knows Donatella. And I'm like, I know, but I, I need a chance. I need to get myself out there. And he's like, it's going to sound like a, a bad wedding song. I said, yeah, you know, when a restaurant and it's true. I mean, everyone said it's the stupidest name. And I said, you know, when the restaurant fails, they blame the name. I said, but if it succeeds, everyone thinks it's brilliant. And actually, for whatever reason, the stars were aligned and it was brilliant. But I can tell you that literally most of the people that walked into the restaurant thought that it was Donatella Versace that owned the restaurant, not me. And they thought I was the, and they thought I was the hostess or the coat check girl. So I would wow. constantly get tipped. And then I would be like, I wouldn't accept it at first. And my hostesses were like, come on, give it to us. I was yeah. like, okay. And I would try and teach them how to make money. They're like, how come you get tips? I'm like, because you got you to gotta work it. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like I was looking for a tip. I just knew how to you know, make someone feel good. I got the million dollar smile. Good. I got them taken uh, care of. 
but people find this hard to believe. But I think one thing you must do in the restaurant business is whatever your weakness is, is try to overcome it. Because I, I was painfully, painfully shy. And to speak, not one-on-one, but to speak on TV was, I mean, the first time I got asked to go on the Food Network, I just was throwing up on the side for like, for an hour. So every, I remember the first thing I did, publicity I did was for Bellini when no one was there. I drove two hours to go to some local TV station that probably had only five viewers. And I made octopus. And I remember I was so nervous that I actually made a face at my own food on camera. And then I tried to go for media training and it was just a painful learning curve. But the only way to overcome your fear is to just do it, to face your fears. And so I did it and kept doing it and kept putting myself in these uncomfortable positions. Back then, it was just to get people into my restaurant. I had never thought it was going to turn into a career. That wasn't even in my realm of thinking. But I remember Bruce, shout out to my Bruce, the producer from the Food Network, came to David Burke and Donatella, and it was a hot spot. And he saw him and he's like, hey, why don't you come and judge an episode of Iron Chef America? It's like that. And I was like, sure. Yeah. That's so cool. And so just you just happened to be there. He saw you and it was like, hey, well, come on he in. heard about, you know, I was the getting restaurant. A lot of press. Remember, yeah. we you could not get into my restaurant. Yeah, you were the it it really restaurant. Was, we were the it restaurant. You couldn't get in. Every every who's who was there. It was like the new Cirque. It was all the famous people were coming in. And then they they met me and they she he liked me and he said, you know, I'd love to have you on as a guest. And the first time I got on, thank God I threw up and I performed. And then, then they asked me again and again, and that started just a whole other part of my career in food that, you know, was amazing. Yes, I've One of the reasons I love this, love this industry is there's just a lot of different places to go with it as well. Yeah. Cause like you said, you came up in an interesting time, right? Yes. It's like when you started, there wasn't really a food network. Like, yeah, there was maybe one or two people, but it wasn't what exactly. it was no, now. No, no. You know, and I've been around it because I worked the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel where the wine and food festivals is always popping and all of you were there. Mm-hmm. But back when you were starting, it was just starting out. So was that yeah. a conscious decision? Like, all right, if I get out there, they'll see us and they'll come to our restaurant. Or was yeah, it I mean, I, just... I want to do this and be on TV? No, it wasn't to be on TV because I, I feared it like death. I mean, it was like my biggest, you know how people have di- different fears? Yep. I mean, when I was in law school, I was just like fearing being called on in class. I mean, I had... I'm saying I had an extreme fear of public mm-hmm. speaking. Wow. And they're like, no, you're such a natural. I'm like, oh, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I became, and all of a sudden one day it finally clicked mm-hmm. and you can throw me anywhere now, but it, it was not a natural learning curve for me at all, at all. No, I did it because I wanted to, I wanted my restaurant to be busy. So once you were successful there, you parted ways. What happens there? Once I parted ways with David Burke, um, mm-hmm. he... I sold because he was offered to do other places and he wanted to do it on his own, which now he says, you are the best partner. Mm-hmm. You can ask him. He said it. Uh, he said he it He said, it. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I found a very talented young chef and I opened up a restaurant called Anthos which is, and Cafe, which was the only Greek Michelin star restaurant in the United States. And simultaneously, I decided not because of David Burke or any other drama, but I wanted to master every aspect and I decided to go to culinary school full time. Wow. So, so as I opened my third restaurant and I'm on like 
full on on the Food Network all the time. I said, I'm going to go to culinary school. I remember the culinary students are like, what the hell? I saw you on TV last night. What the hell are you doing here? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I wanted to master and I'm very much a, a student. So I like the, the structure. I wanted to really have a full knowledge. I had a lot of knowledge about food, but I wanted to have the structure and basically a complete picture. So I had total control so that I was never beholden to a chef. One person. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. I went to the French Culinary Institute, Italian Culinary Academy full time. And that was at the height. Really, I was everywhere. David Burke and Donatella was was parting ways, but I was still in it. And I opened up Kepi and, and Anthos, which became the only Greek Michelin star restaurant in the country. Um, unlike other chefs that just like to, you know, talk about how great they are. I like cultivating talent in general, both in front and back. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And I saw this young chef that was cooking Italian food. And I was like, don't, don't become a Greek chef redefining Italian food. You don't, you're not going to do it. Become a Greek chef redefining Greek food. No one's done it. And, and that's what we did together. So that was a fun project. But yeah, I wanted to master both sides. It so was you, very important to me. That's really I impressive. guess I'm a bit of a control freak. Well, it's, it's also plan B and C, right? You never yes. know in this industry. Sometimes people get, egos get in the way and I'm walking out and you still have to go. Sometimes <laughs> egos get in the way. Well, we'd be nice here, but back of the house is crazy. You know, I, like mean, I, I yeah. talked to my chefs. I said, some it's like the pirate ship back here. You yeah. know, it's unfortunate. I think restaurants fail largely for three reasons. Uh, sometimes because people don't realize that it's actually in the word restaurant business, there's business. So they never look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. So either it's underfunded and they just don't understand business. A lot of times when there is just too much success, the partners start fighting and it's often, you know, ego and other times, it's just people should should not be doing it. They're just doing it for the money, and you can't succeed in this business when you just do it for the money. You have to have a vision. You have to have passion that has to flow and feel it, and you have to feel that and, and really have a good understanding of all aspects of the business. That's mm-hmm. great advice. And you have so to listen. have an ability to deal with very difficult people. Yeah, and so listeners, if you're driving, rewind it, listen to that. That's great advice for anyone looking to do any kind of business. You have to know your numbers. You have to be, get along with your partners. And, you know, it's just true. You see it happen all the time. But let's get back to your story. So you're getting through. You've got these new Michelin star restaurants that you've created. Why Greek? Was that something like, hey, I just see success in the chef? Because it's not what you know. Well, so Puglia, which is where my mother is born, and I spent mm-hmm. a lot of my time there. The word for Puglia is Mania Grecia, which means old Greece. And, it's, and if you go to Puglia, it looks very much like you're in Greece. And it's just a ferry ride to Greece every mm-hmm. summer. So I, was, I had an affinity toward Greek food. And like I said, I, I saw talent in, in this chef. He was cooking Italian. He wanted to partner with me. And I just felt that it was, you know, with David Burke, I did modern American cuisine. So mm-hmm. I, Italian, of course, is what I've done the most. And it's my home and it's my base. But I saw an untapped niche. And I was inspired by it. And that's kind of how it happened i said we we you're going to just be a talented chef trying to redefine italian cuisine and it's not you weren't born with it so you're never going to really redefine it the way you can redefine greek cuisine and he he did and he did very well doing that and and because there's really when you think about the greek cuisine genre Mm -hmm. in general it's kind of the same type of deal yeah 
I mean, you have like the high-end fish by the pound, but it's the same concept. Yep. No one's redefined it. And so that's what Anthos was, and that's why it was very special. So I enjoyed doing that, and I felt it was like a cousin to me, the, the food. And we will be right back. I have personally used Treyway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyway products and services. And now, back to the show. So, you know, you're in New York, you're doing all these in New York, but then Miami comes calling at some point, (laughs) my hometown. And so I want to hear about this story because I don't really know it that well and I couldn't find any info on yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I know. Well, you know, it was right before the poor, I, the owner, the Viceroy, when it opened, the crash happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the crash of Miami when he opened up the hotel. Michael and I were, we were partners at Empress and Caffeine. We were approached to do a restaurant in Miami and we thought, let's do it. I loved Miami. I would come every year for a South Beach Food and Wine Festival. And it's interesting now that I live here. Mm-hmm. But I felt that if I ever left New York, this is the place I could live. It's nothing like New York, but at the same time, it, there's something about it that feels very New York to me. And it's just the way that people are and multi- multicultural. And from, to see what's happened in the food scene in Miami from when, then to now, I, I saw it happening and it is happening. And now with the migration of all the New Yorkers since COVID, you're going to see it more and more. It's going to be one of the hottest food towns and it continues to be great opportunity and and unfortunately though that the market crashed when that happened i remember yes. back then they said buy something in brickle i wish i did yeah you would have been doing great so for listeners i just want to make this kind of it's funny a full circle is i worked at viceroy right after chef donatella left and so oh right when she left i came as you started there 2009 i think i started there at the wow. end of 2010 uh, wow. So you had just left and it was still EOS yeah. restaurant and people would come looking for you. And I was director of restaurants at this hotel and, you know, it's now the W Brickle. Yeah. I was just like, well, she's not here. I'm here. I can take care <laughs> of you and we're going to have a great time, which we did. We had a lot of fun. It was a young team, but I always wondered yeah. how well, that nothing, idea nothing came together. Nothing bad happened. Yeah, no, yeah, nothing bad happened. It was, we had a contract and it obviously didn't get renewed because, you know, it was tough times back then. Yeah, it was tough. No I one mean, had any I, no one had any money. He opened the hotel and, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was, it was a really tough thing, yeah. but I enjoyed my time in Miami, but I was single then. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mom life. now with three kids. <laughs> so were you down here a lot or was it just using oh, your no. name or what no, was no, that no, like no. for you? We came, we came down, I came down a lot. I enjoyed it, especially in the winter mm-hmm. <laughs> in New York. I came, we came down a lot. I loved it. And I met a lot of Miami people, which was very it was a very different education. Like even the media and the press is very different than New York. It's a very different style. Uh, the Miami clientele, I feel, are nicer than New Yorker clientele. They're more forgiving. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was, but like I came at a weird time because yeah, it, was, time. it was a hard time. It was like a big economic crash. It's hard when you're in that situation for and everyone, you know, for a hotel for everything, it was a difficult time, but I learned a lot. I don't want to say this and and it, to come off wrong, but New York, you know, they say if you make it in New York, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere mm-hmm. for a reason because it's multicultural and you have the best of the best, and it is so competitive yep. that you really have to be good. So I was used to 
working at a different speed and a different level. That's not down um, here. And that's not Miami. So that's Listen, been a learning I'm, curve. I'm born and raised here. And I can say it's getting there in a lot of places because there is more yeah. competition now than ever. And people are stepping up their games. You see the Michelin stars happening now. So I like that. Um, yeah. You're right. Especially at that time. It's hard. It's, it's uh, hard. So that was a little hard to get people motivated, to get them to understand the importance and, and the, just the speed of getting things done was a little it's a little frustrating. <laughs> a little frustrating. Yeah. We'll use my dad's joke, which I'm turning my dad's joke now. It's like people ask you, how do you like living in Miami? He said, it's so close to the United States. I love living here. Right. That's I mean, I did, not, <laughs> I did not realize that because when I, I was here, I was spent time in Brickell. Mm -hmm. So Brickell's a little different, but I came to live in Pinecrest. I mean, I know, you know, I grew up in New York, like, OK, good to know Spanish. I didn't know you need to know Spanish. Yeah, that's the like first. In New York, I didn't know that this was the first language here. So I. And you look Hispanic, now, so I'm sure everyone starts talking to you Spanish first. Totally. But <laughs> now I, I I can get by with very poor Spanish. And if you speak slowly, I can understand. You know, I feel very at home in Miami because I grew up, like I said, very European growing up, spending my summers in Italy. And I feel very close to the Latin community because, you know, we're obsessed with our kids and we like to talk about food and eat and celebrate. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. I so, love it. All right, so kids are really happier. I love growing up here, so I think you chose a great place. So once it doesn't work at Viceroy, which it, you know we all know why it happened. It wasn't anything that you did. It was just the economic times. Yeah. What happens after that? You go back to New York and you start yeah. to. I had other restaurants, more restaurants. I opened up Donatella in Chelsea, which was I studied under Enzo Cutch. I don't know if you saw that series, Stanley Tucci. Yes, I just started Italy. watching it. I just started watching it. So there's it. an episode on Naples, and he's one of the only Michelin star pizzaiolos, Enzo Caccia. And I, I mean, I still remember my first bite of pizza in Naples, like one of those early sense memories of food that you have mm -hmm. and thinking it was the best thing in the world. Later, as I got older, I was like, no one, we haven't. It's before the Neapolitan pizza explosion. I was like, I want to bring authentic Neapolitan pizza to New York City. And so I went to Naples and I studied with him Zakocha and I brought the bricks. I was a nut from Mount Vesuvius to build this golden oven in Chelsea. And I opened up Neapolitan pizza. And then I also that moved on to opening up a quick service pizza concept called Prova, which I mm -hmm. opened up in Grand Central and Times Square. And it's still in Grand Central. And my goal was to open up quick service high end pizza concepts. Right. So um, were you trying to be like the Shake Shack of pizza? Was that kind I of? I think so. I think so. And what I found was, but, and we were on the way and then the pandemic hit and I had just moved to Miami and what was one of the most coveted locations, which I had to beat out 300 people to get the Grand Central location became one of the worst locations and same with Times Square. I mean, and still it's tough. Mm -hmm. Still it's tough. And then I moved to Miami, the pandemic hit. I had twin, I have four-year-old toddler twins. When you and moved or you had them down here? I had them down here. I was five months pregnant when I moved here. So why why so, Miami? Why did you move here? So my husband, who is a famous cardiothoracic surgeon, and I, we had our six-year-old son, and we were living the life in New York, and the winters were getting colder, and I felt like we have a home in Connecticut on the lake, and we were just running out there. And then I found that I was pregnant with twins. I was like, you know, and he said the same thing. I feel like this is not the best place anymore to raise kids. And we were getting tired. And we just said, if there's any place we could go, where would it be? And then he got an offer to come look at a, a prominent position. 
to head up a cardiovascular. And I was like, yeah, I could do my hamming. Why don't we try it out for a year? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were like, I mean, I'm a diehard New York girl. So I was like, we're going to keep our apartment in New York. We're going to rent for a year. <laughs> so we did that whole, like, we're not sure. And it, it was harder for him. He's Scottish Irish. He still can't speak a word of Spanish. For me, I felt very at home. I started getting into the language. And of course, my son, you know, was thriving at school here. And then we were, after a year, we're like, is this our place? And then the pandemic hit and we're like, thank God we are in Miami and not New York because it was very difficult for our New York family and friends that are still there. My husband was at Columbia and Mount Sinai. A lot of, that was the hotbed. You know, a lot of colleagues passed away and it was just Mm -hmm. a very difficult time. We felt very fortunate to be here. And then it really just became our home. And I really was pretty comfortable. I was like, I'm good, especially with, you know, the pandemic hitting and what was going on in the service industry. I was like, there's no way I'm opening up a restaurant right now. Like I was going to open up another Provo when I first got here. And I'm like, it's too difficult. I don't want to wait this out. It's, It's torture. And then I was doing very well. I'm the brand ambassador for Galbani Cheese and I'm on TV and now I'm Zooming from the Today Show from home because (laughs) that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was, my life is good. I'm taking care of my kids. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to do something, it really has to like speak to me because I want to not just to open up a restaurant. I don't want to just open up to restaurant to open up a restaurant. You know, because I literally lived two miles from this location. I came here for a yes, drink. Let's set the time. scene. So let's set the scene. Where yeah. where did you move to? I live in Pinecrest. Get... Pinecrest, Florida. I grew up right there. So I know the area I live well. In Pinecrest. Mm-hmm. I love it. Very happy. Pinecrest Gardens, Pinecrest Community Center. My kids go to school within like walking distance. I live in suburbia. Very yep. happy. And you find this kids. location. So set the scene and... for the location of what you found. I go here and two of my friends from New York, my alpha female friends that knew me when I drove a Lamborghini and before I had three kids and still couldn't believe I moved to Florida, where I say, oh, let's go. I hear that there's this little beachfront place. Let's go for a drink. Give them the like Miami feel. Mm -hmm. And we go for a drink and like Donatella, like when are you going to get back in the restaurant business? And I'm like, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, I'm like, I mean, like location like this. Yeah, I I would take because there's so much potential. I can see it. But other than that, no. And then like months later, I'm at a soccer game and I meet uh, my partner, Ronnie Barreto's friend's wife, you know, knew who I was and said, they were asking me, where do you like to go? And I'm like, oh, there's nothing really that great. There's a lot of inconsistency in Miami, which I think that that's true about restaurants, but I understand it's the pandemic. And I was like, I was, you know, I like that place, Redfish, but it's been inconsistent. Like, actually, our partners are parting ways with the chef Mm -hmm. and they'd love to meet you. And that's, I was like, okay, not thinking anything would come up. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, I was like, I'll meet you. Sure. You know, I get these, Mm -hmm. I get everyone wants me to look at his face. I'm like, sure. And then they are like, we hit it off. My husband's like, you need to get back to work. I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) It's like, no, go. I'm good. He's like, you can. And then I just, I really, we had more conversations, which led to more conversations. Here I am. I guess I had certain parameters. It needed to be close to my house Mm -hmm. because I'm not dealing with Miami traffic because I'm a mother of young children. But I also knew that I'm the type of person that needs to be present. I needed to be inspired 
by the location. I just didn't want to open up a location. And I, I do as much as I do the, the quick pizza and the quick service. I am a fine dining kind of girl. That's, that's my background. I love service. Not that I'm making this a stuffy place. It's still going to have that neighbor casual feel, but a seriousness to hopefully the food and service. And, and yeah, I just kind of how I'm here. I honestly can't believe that I'm here right now. That this yeah, so is for, happening. For listeners, Until I, I read the scenes. articles that just yeah. come back out and I'm like, oh shoot, this is really happening. Yeah, you're really doing it. And I'm so really I, doing it. You know, and for listeners, I want to set the scene because it's one of the most beautiful places in Miami that a lot of people don't know about. You know, if yeah. you grew up here, you I know about it. Jam. So you have to go through Matheson Hammock Park. So go on. If you're not driving, pull over. Go look at this. You'll see Madison Hammock Park, and there's like a little jetty, and it's a place I used to go to as a kid with like a little circular beach, but it shoots out into Biscayne Bay, and you have views that are endless, amazing sunsets, sunrises, like everything you could imagine, and then you have this beautiful, she's going to take us out. Let's go see it. And you have this beautiful restaurant that just kind of appears. It's so crazy, and now that you get to run it. And so how do you envision it being for you? Like I'm I'm seeing you still have all the historic look. Can you see? I can see. View? Oh, man. Unbelievable. It's definitely, I'm upgrading the inside. I doubled up the kitchen because the kitchen was tiny. Right. So, so how do you do that? How do you make that exactly. happen? Exactly. How? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a very difficult location because it's a hundred-year-old building. So it's right. historical to Coral Gables. So the most important thing is function first. So it was a tiny, tiny kitchen. And, you know, there's 200 on the patio, 60 inside and a rooftop. So... To, you have to be able to service people well. So I doubled the size of the kitchen and made the inside smaller so that you can actually service people. So the most important thing is that you can cook food first and foremost, more than any right. pretty pictures. So mm-hmm. I really looked at the functionality of the space and how to create better service and service stations. And it's still a struggle because there we live on the water. Electricity is at a minimum. Things that are, you know, you don't find in other locations. So really focusing on first the food and service and consistency. And, 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 you know, it is difficult. We are living in a different world. It's a different market. A lot of people fled the hospitality industry. So just finding people to work is difficult and then training. So I hope to focus on inspiring people and finding people and training, 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 and hopefully it's hard. I'm not saying it's nothing, nothing's easy. It's very difficult. I'm fortunate to have great partners, Ronnie Barreto, who is a Miami native and who is, knows everything about Miami. That was very important to me because I know nothing about Miami. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been here for five years now though. So it's not like, I'm not like, you know, a New York chef that's just coming in quarterly for five days. I'm here. So that was important to me and I'm making it as it's very personal. It's going to feel like a, you know, your Tulum, uh, a Bisa vibe, a lot of white, organic, but a home. It should reflect the environment that you're in. I agree. It's and what's the menu going to be should, like? Coastal Italian. There's going to be a huge raw crudo bar. Nice. Um, I, I didn't understand when I came to Florida why so many restaurants, I was looking forward to the fish, had frozen fish on their menu. I didn't understand that. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, and there's not me, many seafood restaurants in Miami, which is for crazy. For me, <laughs> it follows Italian cuisine as ingredient first and seasonality. So it is Italian, but it's going to follow the local, much local ingredients of Florida and seasonality as well. And obviously, a lot of fish, a lot of, you make. I have a beautiful pasta machine. All the, 
that are going to be making pastas, fresh pastas. There will be a great kids menu because I feel like kids menus are so neglected. And we have a beautiful rooftop. So for great private events, there's a big wine scene here. So I expect to do a lot of wine dinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just Italian, I would say Italian coastal cuisine, but you're also going to have your steaks too, you know, because this is a tourist spot too. Yes. People come here. I mean, I would say that there's three proposals a week and photo shoots and quinceaneras on the mm-hmm. beach every day and gender ordeals. So it's a place where people come to celebrate and then they see the place and they want to have parties here. So there's going to be a lot of special events. So just, I think the the biggest struggle is the space itself is tiny and you can't expand on it. You can't touch the exterior of it. So trying to make it functional. Mm-hmm. So the menu has to be very smart. You can't just have a big menu that you can't, you know, and space is at a premium. So that's, that's the struggle with this restaurant. Yeah, it's always but, been a challenge. And then the flooding sometimes. So I hope that doesn't happen to you and they figure that out. So you'll be good over there. I mean, I you know, <laughs> Hurricane Emma shut this place down for five years. And, yep. and Rodney Barreto was the one that, I guess he grew up here to resurrected this place from underneath the yep. storm. So <laughs> I'm glad yeah. he did the hard work for me. And hopefully the hurricanes, I'm opening at the right time. Yes. King tides. The final king tide will be November eighth, where it floods the parking lot, and then and we're I good. Think we're going, and I think we're good. <laughs> or maybe you say, hey, "Come look at it and have a drink and do a special with it." You know, and that's what you can uh, do next. Time. Apparently, uh, apparently, when the king tides came, like people just stayed and drank. So we can have a king tide well, party. I like that. I I'm like the Miamians. They're not like it, it, the the funniest part of me as a New Yorker is the first year I was here, it got like below 70 degrees and I went to drop my son off and the women were in furs. And I'm like, what is it like dress up day? And then like the hurricane was coming and everyone's like, it's fine. I'm like, do I leave? You know, like, uh, like, like, let's like, go. Yeah. Water flights. We'll just get out. We'll take off our fancy shoes yeah. and we'll walk through the water. Yeah. Cold. Forget it. Like, oh my God. Oh, let me go. I'm like, 65 degrees is freezing here. 65 degrees is freezing down here. So, well, look, I love that you spent so much time with us, Chef Donatella, but I want to ask one more question. You've, you've been all over the world. You've been on TV. You've opened ultra successful restaurants. But if young Donatella was joining your team today at Noma and she was starting out today, what advice would you give that person on your team? Oh my gosh. I've learned so many things. I'd love to be one thing. I would say I definitely... If you're not passionate about this business, get out right away. Don't do it just because, because you're not going to do it. And it's important to make money because we're in business to make money. So really understand that aspect of it. And I did not, I was not strong with numbers and systems. And now I am. And I think that's something that I mastered and it's very, very important to me. But I was just like, oh, I'll let somebody else do that. No bueno. Mm-hmm. No bueno. Yeah. But in the end, follow your passion and the money will follow. But watch your money. Watch your pennies and the dollars will follow because the, the restaurant business is about a million details every day, a puzzle that's falling apart that you have to put together every day. So and everything counts. My my partner just came by. Do you want to say Yeah, hello? let's say hello. The Resurrected. You want to come on, Rodney? I'm on a podcast. Say hi. I was just talking about you. Nice things. We're doing a podcast. Well, hey, hi, Ronnie. Hey, how are you doing? You? It's good to meet you. You're you're live on the the Hospitality Mentor podcast, and okay. we talk to people all about hospitality and the journey of opening amazing places. And so, Chef Donatello was saying, "What a great job you've done with the new restaurant." Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a team effort, and uh, Donatello's kind of like the whole 
pigeon. So we're we're happy to have her. But I said you resurrected it from when yeah. it was under Irma too. Oh yeah, he it had that. Yeah, yeah. I'm born and raised here in Miami, so I love that you're fixing it up and making it this very special place. And I know everyone listening is excited to be there. Well, Chef Donatella, it was great having you on here. I love all the behind the scenes that you gave us. And so for everybody listening, opening day tomorrow at Noma at Redfish, make sure that you go. Will you be in the restaurant, Chef Donatella? Oh, yes. Uh, So you hear from her. She will make you feel special. Go check out the restaurant tomorrow. And I'm so grateful that you spent today with me because I know how busy you are. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you soon. All right. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.